Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Football Podcast. Uh, we're now on episode seven. And in this episode, I'll be chatting to uh, singer-songwriter Paul Nixon about his music and Manchester United. Uh, there's also another offering from footballpost.org. And Paul will be making his choices for the 4-4-U feature. Time for kickoff. Welcome to the Project Football Podcast, Paul Nixon. Hello. Uh, you are a singer-songwriter and also Man United fan. That's correct, yeah. Well, definitely Man United fan. I don't know about singer, but yeah. You carry more of a tune than I can, so yeah, that's a start. So, um, all right, so we'll cover the, the music side of things first. Um, yeah. How long have you been doing it? Uh, it depends what you mean by it, really. Uh, I've been pretty active in terms of like releasing singles and stuff and sort of, well, due to lockdown and stuff, you know, we're creating more of an online presence just really since last year, to be fair. Um, but in terms of playing and writing, performing, gigging and so and what have you, um, as far back as I can remember, really. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's only sort of more recently, really, that, that it started sort of to progress in terms of releasing you know, uh, decent material and what have you, but yeah, it's going pretty well. And so it's something you enjoy as well, obviously, because uh, yeah, yeah, of course, you, of course. you can tell, you know, it comes across in some of the songs. Yeah, no, hopefully so. Yeah, I mean, if you, you don't enjoy it, then what are you doing it for in the first place? No, exactly. <laughs> a lot of effort to go to if you don't like it. But no, yeah, it's mega. Like, I love doing it. Um, I love engaging with everyone now that everyone's um, sort of connecting a lot more online recently and stuff. So it's really good, man. Yeah, loving it. Yeah, you're um, quite active on the social media, aren't you? And you crop up quite a few times on, on yeah, Twitter with yeah. various can't, bits. Can't avoid, can't avoid me, really, can you? No. Um, no, it, no, but that's, that's the way to be, in my opinion. Like, I, like I don't separate myself, like Paul Nixon, the bloke from Paul Nixon, the artist. That it's just all, all one, you know, and you just get on there, get along with everyone and, and chat a lot of rubbish to people and, and whatever. Um, and make some good friends as well while you're at it. Um, and the music's just just part of me, really. Just com- comes with that sort of whole whole thing that I'm that I'm there for. Really. Music is Obviously, you know, with the restrictions that they've been and you've not been able to sort of get out there and, and perform live, but is, is that something you were doing before all this kicked off? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, being a solo artist, it was um, like you, you, your resources are a little bit more limited um, in, you know, in terms of where you can go and when, when you can go there. Um, so it was more local, really, um, obviously as often as I could do. And... You know, got a lot of lot of followers around there and whatever. So the gigs were always pretty good, but it tended to be pretty close by. Um, what I'm hoping for now, obviously, once the restrictions are lifted and what have you, um, 
get a bit further afield. And the main part of that comes down to, to being online a lot as well, because you just get to know so many people from different areas of the country um, who are not only sort of fans in the first place of music, but you, you, know, you get to know them personally as well. And so many people are already arranging to, you know, go here and there and meet up and, and go to different people's gigs and, and stuff. So um, on, on the back of it, yeah, I definitely look to be getting around as many places as I can, yeah, going forward. Yeah, so I'm guessing you've just been sort of doing like, you know, Manchester and sort of surrounding areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm in, I'm in Warrington, which okay. is sort of bang, bang in the middle of Manchester uh, and Liverpool. I just ignore the Liverpool side of it, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, so it's just around there and then, you know, a bit further afield, Manchester, Liverpool, and then the likes of sort of, you know, Wigan, Lee, St. Helens, just, just sort of in that area around there, to be fair, but... Yeah, get a bit further out. Hopefully get a band, you know, because being a solo artist, it's, you know, you, you, I go into the studio and I'll, I'll write songs and, and record songs, um, you know, as if a full band was playing it, but it's just all me doing one thing at a time. Yeah. Uh, you know, so for the live setup, you, you obviously need your other musicians there. So the next step before the gig, we'll, we'll be putting a band together, hopefully, and, um, yeah, get on the road as far out as we can. Would that just be sort of like just a backing band for you, or would you think like actually make a, a proper band, so to speak? I don't know. I'm kind of, whatever. It's the same thing. There, at the end of the day, there. You know, if it's songs that I've already written to date, then you know they're obviously just going to be picking them up. But you know, going forward, if everyone's contributing, then then it's going to be a band rather than than a solo artist. You know, see how it goes. I suppose creatively, you know, numerous heads are better than one, aren't they? Well, that's it, yeah. Well, it depends on what's in them heads, I guess. Well, right? yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two empty heads are no good. But, um, no, yeah, definitely, you know, I, I want to get out there, obviously, with, with the, 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 the stuff that I've got written so far and and what I've got to come in, in over the coming months. So, hopefully, by the time we get to later this year, we'll have a few more singles out and stuff on top of the ones I've already done and, and, and just get them out there, really, plus playing the ones that have, have not yet been released. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after that, you know, as as the months and, and years go on, you know, if it, it like you said, if it gets to be a case of you know the band of writing and, and coming up with with stuff, or we're doing it together, then obviously you know things will change and, and take it from there. It's a thing like you know working with other people. Yeah, you, you could have written a line, and someone could say suggest just changing one word, and you could think actually that that could just sort of change the whole take yeah. on the song couldn't it yeah yeah it does I mean sometimes one line's all you need to get to get you going or, or to make the song um, something that people you know there can be just one particular line in a song that, that people remember or relate to um, just that one hook that one thing that, that sticks in your mind and if it just means somebody suggesting you change that a little bit um, and it works then great you know so it doesn't have to be a massive overhaul does it really no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, people can contribute in, in all different ways. You know, I'm all mm. my hands up and, you know, I'm not like any sort of professionally trained classical musician. You know, I couldn't read a single note on on musically on a piece of paper if you put it in front of me. If you told me what it was, I'd forget five minutes later. Um, so I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm limited because I know what I want. I want it to sound like and I can play any of the instruments that I need to. Um, 
but you know, when you get a band, you'll find people who bring different ideas musically as well, not just lyrically. Um, they can improve your sound massively. Difficult when you're in the studio. Not difficult, but it's, it's it's different in the studio playing one instrument at a time. Whereas if you if you're together and you just got a bouncing ideas off each other in the same room, um, then these things can just happen automatically while you while you're practicing. Whereas on your own in a studio, you've got you sit out, you've got your idea and play that, then I play that, and then I play that, and then that's it. I suppose it just comes across a bit more organically, doesn't it? With the... Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for, really, to be fair. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I've got to get get that ball rolling first. Fingers crossed. Um, like I said, go with the stuff that we've got. You know, even having other musicians with you, they could even change the things that have already been released, you know, um, especially when you're playing live. Let them go with it a little bit and do their thing, you know, rather than sort of sticking to it by the book how it was recorded. So yeah, it brings all kinds of changes to it and, and it, it can improve it a lot, you know, and hopefully, anyway, as long as people have me, I can get it together. Mm-hmm. I don't see why not. Um, <laughs> okay, you're wearing a Stone Roses t-shirt, so I'm guessing they're one of your influences. Uh, being oh, a... yes, I spotted that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, being the age I am, like we spoke about before, um, it seems like a bit of a cop-out and a bit of a sort of a list of fairly obvious choices but I started off um when you're young music's music and you don't really know the difference between anything you just listen to what comes on radio and that's that um but from there it just went to like Oasis um and then you go back a little bit once you started listening to them and listening to a few people that was out a little earlier you know Stone Roses being a perfect example of that um and also in, in the house, you know, the parents would have like, you know, Elvis records, Buddy Holly records, yeah. um, Beatles records, obviously. Um, a lot of old rock and roll stuff. So that was like a really big influence. You'd always played in the house all the time or any car journey anywhere. We'd have that all the way there and all the way back. Um, so, but again, when you're young, even though they've got them records on, you see, when you're too young to know, it's just music. But it's only when you get a little bit older, you start to notice the difference between certain things, uh, what you'd class as good music and what isn't. Um, so, yeah, but then you go back to things like I mentioned there, you know, like the ones that I mentioned that the mum and dad had. And, um, you know, then you go to like the, the likes of the jam and the kinks and the who and um, all kinds. You know, it goes back a long, long way. So you can sort of go go in all different directions, can't you? If you, you sort of go back yeah, to yeah. who influenced who, you know, that influenced you sort of yeah. thing. That's it, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a chain musically um, and people tend to put things under either one umbrella now of rock and roll or indie or whatever you want to call it, which can be anything that's got guitars in it, seems to come under that umbrella. Um, but when you break it down, you know, if you put a Buddy Ollie record on next to an Oasis one or whatever, 
you know, they both come under rock and roll, but they, they wouldn't sound anything like each other. No. You know. I mean, I mean, um, you're not going to have like Peggy Sue next to Live Forever because they're, they're two totally different songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know that's what I mean. It's two polar opposites completely, but you could quite happily play them one after the other. You know oh, what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it covers it covers a lot. You know, they, they see so many changes in music over the years, um, but because I am primarily a guitar player, you know, it's, it's really anything that's that's got that kind of sound to it be it something from 50s, 60s through, through to now. Um, anything like that can, can be an influence, really, because that's kind of what I do, you know? pretty much covered like I said the music side of things so uh yeah. moving on to the the, the main thing that, that, that you're on here for is the uh, the football yeah. so at the top of it mentioned you're a, a Man United fan um I am. I am. how did that come about was it like you know, say through Ooh. friends family um nice family yeah yeah um, so obviously we we touched on sort of my I'm just 39 now yesterday so Growing up, I went, it was just my dad, really, mum and dad, who were massive United fans, so obviously that was just passed on to me automatically. Um, but it was never forced upon me. Um, you know, I got into football straight away, madly. Um, and, yeah, you know, when you grow up, you see some kids who kind of take their own direction just to be a little bit of a rebel or, you know, just spot a team that they like to look at a kit of or whatever, but... Um, no, I just just stuck with it, love United, and um, yeah, came came from the parents really. Can't disappoint them by turning coat, can I? So it was, I suppose, you know, <laughs> being in the part of the world you're in, it was either you're either red or blue, ain't you? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I got took in the right direction. Yeah. So, um, what, what's your sort of earliest memories of of growing up being a United fan? Sort of like your first game. Yeah, yeah. Very, very early memories. Uh, like, mum and I lived with like my mum and my stepdad. And so he took me through first game, which I'll touch on. But the first memories of when I would go to the dad's at the weekend, um, I would listen to the game on the radio. I would literally be like sat around the radio, like, staring at it and like, you know, move your head closer to it as if it's going to make you hear it better and stuff like that, like you do. Um, but no, I just remember sitting and listening to games on the radio or, you know, watching the results on Teletext afterwards yeah. and stuff like that, you know. Um, but yeah, that's probably the earliest thing I remember when I was very, very young. Um, first game was, geez, what, 94? So I would have been like 12. Um, with my stepdad and, and the next youngest brother, the other brother was still too young then. So the two of us went... Um, it was Port Vale in a cup game. Um, 1-2-0, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Brian McClare, somebody else, Brian. Uh, yeah, Brian McClare, David May, if I remember. Um, but yeah, you know, being at 12, you're still a young, really young kid, you know, so you're obviously into football by that age, you're playing it every day. 
after school, playing for your local teams and you're mad on it, you know, you got your posters up on your wall and, and all that business and wearing the kits. But so when you go to the first game, like and you see the size of Old Trafford, like and you're just surrounded by all them people as a as a kid, you know, just shouting and screaming and and singing the songs and, and obviously the reactions at the goals and, and stuff like that and, and the full time whistle just blows your head off when you're a young young lad like that. Um, it's something to take in, isn't it? But I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, unbelievable, man. And like, but it's just like if you're into football, that's one of the days in your life that you'll never forget, you know. Uh, you just remember every detail, remember where we sat, just a few rows up, um, just a little bit to the right of the halfway line, and yeah, it was unreal, man, unreal. But you never, like I said, you can't forget it anyway. You remember it all, don't you? So, I mean, even back then, you know, Old Trafford would have been like a, a massive ground, just not as mm. massive as it is now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I just got, I'm just literally going to say that. And it's obviously it's been extended um, a couple of times since, but even then, you know, it's just, just absolutely huge, man. Um, and you said the weird thing when you're a kid, like obviously you play football, so you, you know, when you're on a football pitch, it, it doesn't seem that big. But then when you're at the, you know, when you're in, in the stands, the football pitch seems like the pitch seems like it goes on forever. You know, just everything just looks ten times bigger, and and the stand is like I can't even see the top of it when you're that when you're that young. It's just like and the, and just the crowd, you know, the singing and the atmosphere, and you know, just jumping around and and, and shouting with everybody else and these blokes that I've never met in my life when I'm twelve years old. Like brilliant, crazy. I just think you're reacting exactly the same as they are, aren't you? So. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, you used to jump around when you heard him score on radio when I was little, but yeah, just, just to be there for the first time and be involved in that, like, you, you don't forget it and, you know, you just just get the bug then, don't you, really, after that, I suppose. Yeah, like you say, you know, it was your parents that got you into it and you know, I've got mine to, yeah. I don't know whether thank or blame to <laughs> for, for, for yeah. my 30-odd years as a West Brom fan, but yeah, so... <laughs> But um, what sort of you know what was your sort of favourite player um, growing up? Because you'd have had the likes of what back then, um, what Ince Robson. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. have been far off signing Cantona, would you? By that point, I think. No, no, yeah. Um, yeah, this was oh, you know it was late in '94, so it would have been around a similar time. I don't think quite had him by then, but I think he might have come just a month after. Was it November? I can't, I can't remember exactly, but. Um, yeah, you mentioned Ince there. I had the green and gold kit, uh, the half and half one. Yes, but is that the um, one with the um, with the, yeah, the drawstring? Like, yeah, they had, yeah, they had the red one with and the, the green and gold one. Um, and this is before they had names on the back, so I just had a number eight on the back of that for, for Paul Ince, actually, because uh, I like the, like, like the midfielders. And um, yeah, and he had that the blue, you know, the blue and white zigzag one we were talking about before that I've got now that you saw yes. on the video. Yeah, yeah. I had that originally back when I was in primary school. Um, I think I had 11 on the back of that. Um, but at the time, that was, uh, I think, just before Ryan Giggs made his debut. So I think 11 was Lee Sharp still at that point before they changed the numbers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was more about the midfield then. Uh, but to be honest, my one, my all-time is probably in Um It seems like an obvious choice, but... You know he's obvious for for reasons. You know, I was going to say, given what he's you know what he's done, yeah. You know, you know when he started, I think uh, enigma is probably one of the words that probably gets yeah used to describe him a lot. And 
Yeah. I think yeah. just the way he carried himself, he's sort of like, yes, I am that good. And yeah. He acted up as well. It's like, I remember, um, was it against Sunderland? And he just did that cheeky little lob over the keeper from, I think, just outside the box. Cantona. Oh. How to create space and then weave past a couple of defenders. McClare. Here's Cantona. He's done it. That is magnificent by Cantona. And after all his problems and his lack of form and the criticism that's come his way, there is the perfect riposte. Yeah, yeah. And he's just yeah. stood there, turned around, just like, you know. Yeah, that's, that's what I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he was amazing. I mean, to be fair, I was going to touch on him uh, in a little bit with, with one of the games that I'd picked, but... Um, yeah, I think he came in 92. Um, but very checkered pass, really. A lot of different clubs and, like, terrible disciplinary record and everything. Um, he'd been moved on a lot of times. People rubbed him up the wrong way and, and vice versa, I suppose. And, and got a, he got a reaction out of people as well. Um, but, yeah, so it was a bit of a gamble, I think, you know. Um, but paid off, thankfully. Yeah. Unless you're a Palace fan sat in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't work out for them too well, did it? No. Come to kick to the chest. But um, well, that's a perfect example of, of the kind of player that, that he was, you know. Um, one little thing and he just snapped. Um, I think the thing that at United is he just felt loved by, by Fergie and by the fans, whereas everywhere he'd been before, you know, he, he, he just didn't seem to fit and, and the fans wouldn't have his back, you know, if he maybe did something he shouldn't have or maybe didn't maybe didn't believe he was as good as he was. Um, if he didn't get a chance to, to show it under some managers in France and and certainly fell out of favour of Leeds as well. Yeah, um, so you signed it from Leeds, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, 1.2 mil. What, what you got for that? You know? I think that's a week's wages these days, isn't it? Pretty much. No, it is. It's not far off at all, is it? I'd be worth 1.2 mil these days. I can't even walk upstairs. Yeah. Um... Another failing. <laughs> nice. Um... But no, yeah, like like you said, in the, in the enigmatic, he was a massive catalyst. Um, you know, just, just the way he carried himself, not just his attitude, but his just pure ability as well. He's unbelievable. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and obviously, he sort of ties back into the music side as well, because he was in the video for Once, wasn't he, by Liam Gallagher? Yeah, do you know what? That, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, do you know what? Absolutely amazing when I've seen that, especially with Gallagher being a big City fan. Well, yeah, but, that's uh, it. But I think you said yeah. he's like one of the well, like the most rock and roll footballer that there's been. Which, yeah, when you've got the likes of George Best to compare to. Well, I was just, literally just, just going to say that, like, that, that club that he came out with about him being rock and roll. But um, yeah, you told a little story about where um, he wanted a minute, he just got his people to bring Cantona or Cantona's agent or whatever he has. I don't know. And um, he said Cantona just turned up on his own, got a plane flight on his own, no entourage, nobody with him or nothing, just turned up with a set on his own, did the video, and then just got off again and did it for free, didn't get paid at it, and just went home again. <laughs> Turn up one take, done, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> just him, that the winner, I suppose. That's it, well, I mean, to be fair, great video, great song. I know, it is, yeah, yeah, fantastic.
So I mean, that was, I, yeah, I guess that was Fergie that signed him. So you've obviously come in, um, like I say, early 90s under Fergie, which is probably your most successful, yeah. Know, wasn't it? You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've, obviously I have memories from before that because I think, so by our first title, excuse me, uh, 92, 93, I was like 10 or 11 then and obviously following following United already then. So still a lot of memories from, from prior to, to, to us starting to win the, the league, um, you know, with like Cup, Winners' Cup, etc. And, and, and a few games like that that you just remember being on on the telly at a young age. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it worked out perfectly because when we started to, to win, and we won that first Premier League, I mean, we were very close the year before, we actually came second to Leeds, didn't we? Where, when Canton I was playing, ironically. Um, but yeah, from that point onwards, it, it, it sort of met perfectly with my age at that time. So from that point onwards, I'm sort of, you know, 12, 11, 12, 13 years old and, and obviously following it a lot more and, and going, starting to go to the games with dad and, and what have you. Um, just at a time when we happened to start having a, a lot of success. So it worked out pretty well. But yeah, I still, still remember a lot of stuff from before that time, yeah. So I mean, I don't, you know, made a few notes for this and I think I've got it down that he won. If, if you take out the one charity shield that was shared, then there was yeah. like 38 other trophies. Between, yeah, yeah. What, the back end of '86 and was it 2011 or something? No, it was later than that, wasn't it? Yeah, 13. Was 13. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, well, <clears throat> um, yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Like, you'll never see a record like that again, or, or a manager like that again. To be fair, um, just completely unheard of. Very, very lucky that he, he came to us when he did, and. And stuck it out for a couple of years before before we really started started to sort of get get the ball rolling really. Um, but he's just an unbelievable manager. Like I've read his books and I've read a lot of stuff that other people have written about him. And obviously, I followed him very closely anyway throughout the whole time. Um, there's I don't think that any manager these days kind of has just the ability to to manage players like he did. No. Um, you know, the amount of time that he completely overhauled the team or wasn't afraid to just kick someone out no matter how good they were um, for whatever reason that may be. Um, all in different personalities in the dressing room, especially at United, where you've got players from all over the world. Yeah. Um, as well as the, the homegrown ones. Um, and you've got to bring them all together and, and they all need treating differently. So you've got to treat every player individually. Um, not to keep them happy, but just to make sure that they understand that they wanted them and needed them and, and get the best out of them. Whereas for some managers now, it's like, like my way or, or, or get on your way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is why they, they tend to, a lot of dressing rooms get lost and people talk about player power, but you know, a lot of that is, is the manager's attitude in the first place. You know. So, so if the ego starts at the top, then it's going to filter down, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, if you're, I mean, a good example, and I'll use this as an example because he was at our place, Mourinho, you know, he, I don't know, I don't know anywhere, anywhere he's been where he hasn't ultimately fell out with everyone there, yeah. you know? I mean, I'm not saying that every player hated him, you know, I'm sure that wasn't the case, but in terms of each club he's been at as, as a whole, you know, be it the people at the top level and the board or the owners or, or his or staff, 
you know, he's even he's even slated his staff in the press sometimes, you know. Um, and especially players, you know, it's either look, this is my way, this is this is how it is, and if you if you don't like it, either you go or I go, and the club tend to say, well, all right. You go there. <laughs> I was going to say, they're, they're going to get money for getting rid of a player, aren't they? Whereas they're going to have to pay out yeah. for getting rid of a manager. That's it, that's it. But um, yeah, no, going back to Fergie, sorry, yeah, you, you never see it again. He was just, just a genius in the way you just you just manage people. And then once you've got all everyone happy individually, then then it makes it a lot easier to manage them collectively then. Yeah. Um, and, but it was always about the team, you know. Like I said before, he'll, he'll get rid of anyone that needs kicking out and and start afresh. You know, even if that takes a few years to to rebuild. So I mean, anyone who's got the the, the no, sorry, bollocks to kick a boot at someone like David Beckham, you know, with the star power he had. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look at how many players he, he's got rid of. I mean, some of them, you know, they came and it didn't work out, so that's understandable. But you know, like Beckham. You know, Van Nistelrooy, these players who, you know, unbelievable ability and did absolutely wonders for the club. You know, there came a point where, for whatever reason, behind closed doors, they weren't exactly getting on. And, you know, Fergie says, OK, for the good of Man United, it's time for, for you to go. You know what I mean? Um, but and, but even no matter how many players he's got out with, he always speaks so highly of him, like the biggest influence on the career, no matter what arguments they ever had. In the past, you know, and it just says everything about him, really. That's a point. I mean, going back to mentioning Beckham and, and linking with Fergie, he come through as part of the the class of '92, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's another thing. Again, you know, perfect, perfect timing for me. Like you mentioned before, you know, I'm what 10, 11 at that age when they start coming through. A couple of them a little bit earlier than others. From Gigs was probably the first. The ones I like, but Skulls came a year after, around 2003-ish, 2004, 94 should have been. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great timing to see all them coming through together. But again, that's another thing that you'll you'll probably never see again, you know. Um, so I'm I'm very lucky to have lived through some of these things. Um, I'm certainly not someone who was, was born into success because of my age. Um, but I'm very lucky to have seen it. Yeah, definitely. So when you, you look at the ones that come through, you got was it like Beckham, Giggs, the Neville brothers. But yeah, skulls, yeah, Nicky you know. Butt, yeah, I'm an handful of others that played a few games that didn't quite cut it, which were good players at the time. I think um like likes of like Keith Gillespie there. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the United have always done that. I mean, I don't even know what the, the number is, but it's something ridiculous, like thousand and odd games where we've always had an academy player in, in the team or in the squad. Um and I think every season that I've ever known, there's there's been players in in the starting eleven every game that have come through, you know, or as far as I know, anyway, pretty much, or at least on the bench, anyway, let's say. But um, but yeah, to to see those come through together, um, and actually make it, you know, not come through as a group and then it's like, oh, you're not quite good enough, sorry, you know, see you later. They, every one of them was like, you know, international players. Yeah, I mean, they were all. Sort of permanent fixes in the starting eleven for a number of years, yeah. as well, weren't they? Oh yeah, you'd see them all there together. Yeah, absolutely. So you know that's half of your team made up already, just by these these homegrown players, and then you just balance them out with a few few signings. Um, you know, you bring the likes of Roy Keane in alongside 
scores, gigs and, and back him, then you know you're just not going to lose really, are you? So it's not a bad midfield, really, is it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I mean. And it chopped and changed a little bit. Obviously, you had like in there before, like we mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, you know, throughout the whole time, apart from one or two seasons where obviously there was a couple of signings which didn't work and you know, like, like I mentioned earlier on, he's had a, a few times where, where he always rebuilt. Um, we, we, it's generally always been really, really strong team and strong squad built, you know, with a good mix of, of young players and, and, you know, more more sort of established players that have been brought in from, from elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're trying to do the same now, you know, I know we're talking a lot about like, historical teams there, but a couple of managers in the interim, one of them we touched on with Mourinho, but you know, I think we're doing the same thing now. It's taking a little bit while longer than some fans would like, but you know, it's just a case of rebuilding and, and getting a balance right at the minute. We'll be back there soon enough, I'm sure. Say, given how you're doing at the moment, do you think Solskjaer, you want to see him carry on with the rebuild? Yeah, yeah. personally, yeah. Um, a lot of people who... Well, some people... United fans, um, usually younger than, than myself, but unfortunately, I've even started some people, hearing some people who I thought knew a little bit better, saying that they wanted to, to get sacked. Now, he's had the job two years permanently, um, you know, after his, his temporary appointment, um, which, which is nothing, it's no time at all. If you want to build a team that's going to win the league, win the Champions League, win cups, you ain't going to do that in two years, no. you know. Um, so a lot of people seem to think they've fallen into what I call, unfortunately, call a Liverpool trap, where they think you've got this God-given right to be the the best, um, the 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 biggest and and the most famous and the most successful at all times, um, you know. And and I'm. I'm smart enough to know that that's not the case. You know, football goes in cycles. Yeah. No one was going to replace Fergie right away. That was going to have a huge effect on the entire club, top to bottom. Moyes had no chance, to be fair. Um, not to say he's a bad manager. He's proven he's decent enough now, but at that time, that, weren't, that wasn't for him. Um, big but, shoes to fill, isn't it, as well, really? Impossible, to be fair. You could, you could, anyone could have got that job at that point and we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done well. Um, just the whole mentality, the, even the atmosphere. You could walk into Old Trafford and sit down for your breakfast one day, and the atmosphere would be different because he would because he's left. You know, so it, it, it would just affect everything. So those those next couple of years after that, there was there was no chance really. Van Gaal, okay, won the cup and got sacked pretty much straight after that, just due to his style of football, which I was very disappointed with. I didn't think we would have type of club to do that um, it's more of a sort of Real Madrid type of thing yeah. you know winning show people not playing attractive football so you stop the manager doesn't make any sense um, Mourinho with touchdown anyway but um, no I think now he's, he's just going to take time and yeah it's disappointing to hear people talk about getting rid of him you know um, yeah what, what what can he do with the squad that he had and, and a squad that he's halfway through building and, and trying to gel together. Um, you know, the, the market's pretty much non-existent at the minute for new players. Um, all the finance isn't available one, one way or the other. Um, 
pretty difficult, you know. And if we if we, if we end up coming second behind City, then you know there's no shame in that. No one, no one's in their in their league at all at the minute. So, so they're running away with it, aren't they? Yeah, I mean to be fair, you know, we could we could have been closer. We we messed that up for ourselves on a couple of occasions. I'm not saying we would have caught him. I think that would still have been impossible, but we could have been a little bit closer than we are. Um, only ourselves to blame for, for that, but I think they still would have won the league. But, you know, if you take City out of the equation, which is one of, if not the best team in the world at the minute, you know, if, if we finish second, what was the shame in that, you know? Um, okay. Had a few disappointing results as well. Got knocked out of the cup by Leicester, but Leicester only a couple of points behind us in the league. One of my mates was fuming. He's like, "How are we getting beat off Leicester? It's only Leicester, but that's that's just the level that we're at at the minute. And you know, you can't be the best all of the time. You just got to accept where you are and and move forward. You know. Also, when um, you look at where, where Leicester have come from, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but you know, give give them credit. Don't say that. We're really bad because we that's only Leicester and we should have beat them. They are at the minute, based on you know, almost 30 games for us now, 29 games, they are pretty much as good as we are. You know, the, the table doesn't lie after so long. It can lie after two or five or even ten games, but not when you start getting near the end. So the the yeah. business end now that they are yeah. uh, you, know, you, can't, you can't complain about getting knocked out of a cup or in a one-off game off the top four side. And, you know, after that game, people are calling for all those heads again, which is just ridiculous, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, just to go back to the start, give the man time. Money is a different issue. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, no, I think he, he's getting us somewhere. It'll be a much slower process than people would have hoped for, you know. But you've got to have your head screwed on and realise that that's the case, you know. Yeah. I mean, look at some of the players that you've got at the moment. I mean, Rashford, for a start. Um, yeah. Fernandez yeah. in midfield. I mean, those two, they're, they're world class. You've got Pogba. Yeah. Whether yeah. he stays or goes, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the same every year. That, isn't it? But no, that's the thing. You know, we've, we've got the nucleus there of, of, of an unbelievable team. You know, um, needs touching up here and there in a couple of places, um, which, but what I said before, you know, that's difficult because who, who what team is going to sell? Their, let's say their best centre back. Let's say let's say you go for the best of You look at the best centre back in, in the world in a minute. You know are you going to be able to knock on their door and say, okay, we want to buy him off you? And they're just going to go, yeah, okay. There you are. It's not. It ain't going to happen. So yeah. you got to you got to buy smart. Um, financially, clubs are in a bit of a different situation at the minute. Obviously, clubs like United and, and others are, are never going to go broke. But it's it's just a different situation at the moment. Um, like I said, you've got to buy smart. You've got to look at the best players you can get for, for the money that's available and what, what the other team will accept. Um, but look for the future. Like I said, we're building. So, you know, what's the point of going for a 30-odd-year-old centre-back just because he might be the best around at the minute? Two, yeah. two years' time, you, you're going to be looking for another one. Um, or his back will give up in first game or something. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um but no, I think we're on the right track. Um, I think a lot of people who don't really see things the same way as, as I do or as some fans do are just a little bit too hasty to 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 expect more, you know, too quickly and, and, and just think it's a it's a given that 
just because we're united, you know, we've, we've got these good players. So why aren't we winning every game? It doesn't work like that. You know, you should people should know football a little bit better. Um, but yeah, you know, we've got like I said, Rashford, Fernandez, Pogba, uh, you know, players coming through again. Greenwood's an unbelievable talent. He'll be there for, for a lot of years, hopefully, as one of his um I'll go off the rails, I'll get his head turned in the wrong way. Um Dean Henderson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Henderson, you know. Um I don't think I'm not sure about the, the guy being dropped or sold. I think he's he's been such a good player for us over so many years. And he's still not exactly old either. Um you know, it's a tricky one, you know, do you let him ride it out? Um but in doing so risk throwing away points or, or even cup games due to possible mistakes or do you let Henderson come in? Fairly inexperienced at, at the highest level, but obviously he's been in the Prem, you know, it's Sheffield United and so on. Um, yeah, Henderson's good, you know, the game will be gone at some point, I'm sure he might want to go back home, he's a little kid and that and his wife's at home in Spain, so you never know what, what, what he's thinking at the minute, but yeah, Henderson's good. Um no one was that left backs. See, I think we're spoiled for choice at left back with Shaw and, and Sellers and, and even Brandon Williams, another young lad there. So yeah, just just plug a few gaps. I think we were something a little bit better than what we've got here and there. Um, it'd be all right, you know. Yeah, just well, minor improvements. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, you've got a decent squad there. I'm not mad on Fred, but I like Luke Tomlin. I think he's a really, really good player. I think he'll be there for years to come. Really, really important player actually. Like what he's about a lot, puts himself about a lot, and really loves the team, and, and gets stuck in and starts to chip in with a few goals and that in, in and there as well. Um, so I think he'll be a big player. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, you just got to have the options on the bench as well. It's no good having a great eleven and then having crap coming off to replace him. So depending what's out there, but yeah, give it some time. But we'll be all right. You say about McTominay, he's a little bit like Darren Fletcher, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's not too long since he made his debut, is it only? I can't lose the plot a little bit in my old age. I'm sure it's only like a year or so since since it sort of came through. So it's uh, only been a couple of years at the most, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, he was getting the odd bit part game in and there because we were, we were short. Um, but now, you know, any big game or, or most games, in fact, you know, you, you put him down one of the first names. Um Always does a job. Like you said, you mentioned Fletcher there. He was, again, probably an underrated player. Um, not hugely talented technically. But, you know, you'd find that for you, any big game, big Premier League game, top four, big European game, cup game, you you find Fletcher playing, you know, which which says, just tells you what the manager think about him. There's you know, one that... Came to us afterwards, didn't he? You know, yeah, to, yeah, Tony yeah, Pugas on for West Brom, and yeah, like I say, seen a few yourself, haven't Not not a world beater like with his skills, but his reading of the game and um, like motivation. Obviously, he was captain for us yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and by that point, when he's gone to yourself, there he's he's sort of been there and done that with us. So you're getting someone who not only knows the score on the pitch, football wise, but you know, like you said, in your dressing room, motivation yeah. there, you know, experience. Yeah, he's not he's He's not the kind of player who would go to West Brom and, and brag about what he did at United, but he would use the, no. use the experience and say, look, you know, this this is what I've learned, this is what it's like in these situations and what have you. So 
Den, den sort of players can be priced with even just for the season or two. Yeah, so you know, when he's played at the, the, the top level, won countless amount of silverware yeah. and under one of the best managers ever, you know. Yeah. If, if you're going to turn to anyone, it was yeah. someone like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're gonna you're gonna learn a bit uh, having a career like that. And he's back at our place now. I forget the title they've given him, like direct director of football or something along them lines. Anyway, whatever. I think so. I saw that he'd gone back. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he went on the coaching staff for a little bit, um, and then yeah, they've <clears throat> just make up these titles, don't they? I think just to have them there. But it's like don't know director of something or other football wise, but. Um, yeah, it's good to see that. You find that at United a lot as well. You know, a lot of the staff, um, you know, be that on the bench or, or back room or, or upstairs, you, you find a lot of ex-players, which is good. Um, one thing why I don't think Ole should get a lot, all of the blame for some of the results and decisions, because what from what I see looking in, it's more of a team effort. You know, all these relatively or, or, or very if you like compared to others inexperienced as a manager so personally I don't believe that he walks into the room and says this is exactly what's going to happen you know I think it's it's a combination of all the people around him making the decisions together and he's you know bouncing off the likes of of, of, of Fletcher and, and Button and so on obviously Carrick's still on the, the Carrick's uh, yeah, well. as well yeah so, you know, if you've got all these players around you that you, you know personally, you know, you, you've had a career with them and you've played together and, you know, everything that United's about, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think that for one second Ole's just going in there and shouting the odds and saying, it's my way, this is what's happening, this is how we're playing, you're playing today, you're not, and, and so on. You know, it's it's obviously a team effort. Um, so it's another reason why I think, you know, people calling for, for his head is a bit off the mark, you know, Um just have to look at the people that he's got around him to know that it's not just him <laughs> that's making the decisions, you know. I mean, given that his managerial experience is what he managed at Cardiff and I think took mm-hmm. them down, possibly. Yeah, relegated, um, yeah. And then, and then mold, wasn't over it, yeah. to Norway, yeah. So, yeah, so it's common sense. I don't think he would, he's not that type of person to to actually think that he knows enough to to decide everything about Man United football club, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely you know even a bad result or a bad even a bad substitution in the game or team selection or, or a bad running results, you know, it's, you're calling for his head after that. Like I said, it's, it's it's nowhere near the case, you know. But um, but no, I like him, man. I like how he comes across. Uh, I like what he's trying to do. I like the people he's got around him. Um, I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention a <coughs> particular fixture um, under Sir Alex, namely, is <laughs> yeah. like you knew yeah. this was coming. Um, I did. I did. His final game, which I had the uh, had the fortune of attending, and oh, I yeah. say it was one of the craziest games I've seen. Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, um, it was almost like uh, the, the, one of the lads I was talking about it the other day, um, a pre-season friendly. Because mm. you, you'd already yeah. won the league at that point. Um, yeah, that's right. Was, yeah. It was last game of the season. Which, if there's nothing riding on it, then you can just play whoever. Yeah, you know, Fergie was moving on, so it was a bit of a sort of a celebration for you guys and. Uh, yeah. We went and spoiled it. <laughs> yeah, certainly did. Yeah, certainly did.
and he would have gone through this moment in his head hundreds of times. His final walk into battle. The great showman is about to bow out at the top. A guard of honour from West Bromwich Albion's players and Manchester United's players too. And a wonderful reception on the whole for the man who has owned English football for almost three decades. He shook the game in England to its core 26 and a half years ago when he made the journey south. He's run trophy after trophy, 38 to be exact as Manchester United manager. And now he is about to bow out. Well, I remember that, yeah. Um, I think there was, you're, you're, you're fine with, with United, and I'll probably mention this with, with, with the games I'll switch on. There's always a few little details and a bit of a story behind why the, the game or, or the result or a particular performance is, is just a little bit, bit more, more special or, or stands out. So, you know, this is really his last game, as you said, wasn't it? Um, and I think he, by chance, it was one exactly 1,500 games yeah. that he'd managed. Um, it's something else. I think it was the first ever 5-5. In the yeah, in, in the in the Premier League, is it? Is yeah, it? in the Premier. Yeah, should I say? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, just just a few things like that, really. And it was ironic that it it, it was the other way around because Otford had always been known for you know putting up the fight and staging comebacks and never never say die. Um, well, I mean, that's not always United prior to Fergie, but he, he obviously made that his his thing, didn't it? Um, so the fact that it was like the other way around, and we're like five two up, I think, aren't we? Ultimately, um, before yeah, before five all towards the death with a bit of a scrappy goal as well. Yeah, I think um, it was Lukaku headed it from like yeah, a, a yeah, foot yeah. off the floor. I think about half a yard out, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was sort of one of them bounced around a little bit, but yeah. So it's quite ironic that we were sort of a victim in his last game of, of what he'd been known for. To be fair, but um, but yeah, like Lukaku, well, he's on loan from Chelsea, then, wasn't he? Yes. And, um, so he's on loan from Chelsea. He's, he's on the bench, and he comes off and scores. And I've got a hat trick, didn't he? Uh, perfect hat trick, in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right, actually. Um, and then obviously, you know, that's against his his future players. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few uh, few little little details to that, but I think. Um, I mean, I'm by no means suggesting that he didn't deserve it, but you, I can almost imagine, like, in the second half, a, a lot of the players just starting to think about what was coming after the final whistle, you know? Yeah. Um, and like you said, the league was, was won. Um, and it's you know, perhaps to be expected that, that they weren't quite fully at it towards the end of the game. But, you know, obviously, fair play, you're, you're, you're West Brom a part of part of history there with his last ever game you know on a 5 all as well you say not trying you still managed to score bloody five goals though <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah if you score that many and don't try imagine if you had a fucking tried still some goal yeah well yeah true. I suppose that you could say that like but um, no it's good like it, it, it was fitting really in, in some weird way that, it, that that was the result I suppose um, but no yeah I remember the scenes after it as well a bit emotional obviously Um it's one of them things like where you don't sort of believe it and you think, oh, we'll come back again, like, you know. What I mean? Yeah. Now it's Dorans. And Lukaku! Unbelievable! Sir Alex 
opposition wanting. But one result will not ruin 26 and a half years. Incredible work. He has written his name in lights across the English sky. He has touched the stars and they will talk about him for generations and generations. The final chapter in the history of football's greatest manager has been written. He will take one final bow and then head off into the sunset. And he finishes on quite a remarkable day, a remarkable game to finish, finish a remarkable reign. Ten goals between these two, twice West Bromwich Albion with three goals behind, but they managed to claw their way back. And Sir Alex Ferguson walks over towards the Manchester United fans, who will salute their manager, the man who lifted the club from its knees and brought back success. He brought their pride back, he brought the title back for them, and they kept winning and winning. And now football's greatest ever manager waves goodbye. Well, lo and behold, David Moyes walks in the door, unfortunately. Yeah, because there'd been talk like there's a number of years before, like where it was up in there whether he'd sign a new contract, weren't there? And then it's like then he signs and then you carry on. Yeah, know, yeah. Winning. He said he was leaving first a couple of years prior. Um and then he stuck it out. I think that was the emergence of City, obviously, at that time. Um he and the record of titles over Liverpool also. Um so I think there's a couple of factors that just made him go on that a little bit longer, just to get that last one. And as long as he felt healthy enough, you know, yeah, no reason you know, not yeah. to continue. Well, absolutely, yeah. You know, because City had won the league the season before. Um, so it wasn't just the case of, right, you know, as, as it always been the case for all these tenure, anyone ever won the league, we wanted it back straight away the next season, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, for him to, to actually do that, as well on his, in his last season with, let's be honest, not the greatest squad either, to be fair. Um, you know, some ageing players and some that probably weren't really up to it ability-wise. Um, to get to get that out of that squad in that in that, in that that season, I think, was amazing, considering, obviously, City were a good side by then. Yeah. Uh, and we won by 10, 11 points, if I'm not mistaken. Um yeah, something special last that season to come back and do that, and obviously not Liverpool off his perch as he put it himself as well. In, in, in that. Same time. Yeah, so yeah, it's a good way to go out. Really, really good game, and what United was was generally about under him a lot of the time was just entertainment. Obviously, he'd <laughs> rather that point, not rather than a win. But um, yeah, just pure entertainment all over and. Couple of record, couple of records to boot while he was at it. So you have ten goals in your last game. That's not bad, really, is it? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's all about, isn't it? Yeah. Really, that's the ball. Very, very in way to finish. There's a, another one, obviously, stands out for for me. I mean, it's before our time, which was uh, the, the Christmas 1978, the the five three at Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, which you know, I say we weren't around for that, but our parents would have been. Because I know my mum and dad went to that. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they braved Manchester <laughs> from the Midlands. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a good um, time of year for that, I guess. But, well, there you go. They were at that one. You, yeah. you, uh, you were at the last one. So so that, that's one for us. I mean, yeah, that goes, that's in, in West Brom folklore forever because, you know, yeah. one of our greatest ever teams at that point. But mm. I think it was described at the time as the game of the century. Yeah. 
I'm um, sure he was actually. To be fair. And so, you know, being in 1978, there was obviously a lot more to come, but yeah. Um, but... Cunningham letting the ball beat Houston, and he's away again to show that pace and grace and control. Just a nicely weighted little pass for Ali Brown, who's turned inside Brian Greenoff. On for Regis. Yeah, yeah, 20 yeah. years prior to that, 58 was when, you know, tragedy struck for... Yeah, yeah. Annoyed ...and the, the, the Munich air disaster. Um, and obviously, yeah. you've got the... Is it, you've got a clock, is it, with the date and the, the time? Yeah, yeah, with the time tribute. on it, yeah. Outside, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... It's another thing that... With, with, with United, and it, it links, again, to, to some of what we're going to touch on, like, with the games and stuff, but... Um, yeah, you know, to, it's similar to, to the Fergie thing, you know, we just rebuilt after that, you know, a lot of players lost their lives and, and people connected to the club lost their lives and, you know, people who survived it carried on playing and, you know, brought the club back to, or brought success back to, to the club, uh, along with, you know, a lot of new players as well, unfortunately, to, to replace others, but, um, no, yeah, it's, it's it's really good to see how, you know, no matter what goes on between other clubs, there's, there's always massive respect paid for things like that. Yeah. As as is the case, you know, with, with any club that's gone through a tragedy of any kind. But um, yeah, I think it says a lot about United and the way that they, they rebuilt after that. I think that's probably the the, the point in in history where that just sort of became part of part of the club. You know, always. Coming back, you know, whether that's from a disaster or, or in a or in a football match, you know. One cold bitter Thursday in Munich, Germany. Eight great football stalwarts conceded victory. Eight men will never play again. We met destruction there. The flowers of English football. The flowers of Manchester. Matt Busby's boys were flying, returning from Belgrade. This great United family, all masters of their trade. The pilots of the aircraft and skipper Captain Fane. Three times they tried to take off and twice turned back again. The third time down the runway, disaster followed close. They were slush on the runway, and the aircraft never rose. Roger Byrne and Tommy Taylor, who were capped for England's side. And Ireland's Billy Whelan, and England's Jeff Bantide. Mark Jones and Eddie Coleman, and David Pegg also. They all lost their lives as the plane ploughed through the snow. And Big Duncan, he went too with an injury to his brain. And Ireland's brave Jack Blanchfer will never play again. The great Matt Busby lay there. The fuzzy of his team. Three long months passed by before he saw his team again. The trainer, coach and secretary and a member of the crew.
also eight sporting journalists who with United flew. And one of them was Big Swifty, who we'll never ever forget. The finest English keeper that ever graced the net. England's finest football team. It's record, truly great. It's proud successes mocked by a cruel turn of fate. Your men will never play again. We met destruction there. The flowers of English football. 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 The flowers of Manchester. That's quite a big thing to come back from, isn't it? You know, something of that magnitude. And let's say one of the, the people involved in that team um, was from, from my neck of the woods, Duncan Edwards. Yeah, yeah. So, from a few miles up the road. Um, yeah. But I remember, I don't know if it was the was it the 50th anniversary, I think, where you played City. And you, you both yeah, had like the old right. school yeah. kits. Um, yeah, a few years ago. Maybe 2000. 2008, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I remember that. Yeah, the 50th. 50th, 50th. Um, but that was, that's another fitting thing, you know, it's the year that we went on and won the league and won the Champions League in Chelsea in 2008. So just another example of, you know, with, with certain results, there always seems to be something connected to to the games, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll that year. Yeah. So, um, in that case, I think... It seems appropriate to move on to the 4 4 U. Okay, let's do that. So, uh, yeah, so you've got your five. Um, any order you want, you know, uh, off you go. Right. Well, well, while we're on the subject, I'll start with this one and I'll go back to, uh, you know, a lot a few of these are United, by the way, apart from one that I've picked, which is a little, little different, hopefully, uh, provided no one's already. <laughs> Depends what it is. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go first with the, the 68 European Cup final. Yeah. Um, which I'm the player I'm going to go go with in that, uh, which I would have loved to have been at that time, uh, is uh, Bobby Charlton or Sir Bobby, should I say. Um, first of all, one reason being what we just spoke about, uh, this was um, 10 years on from the Munich Air disaster, which he survived. And he'd watched the club rebuild, um, as did Samat, by the way, obviously, manager there. Um, he'd have been in charge of that, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so he's played in, in this final. Um, it's our first European final. Um, ultimately, the first one won by an English club. Well, yeah, I, was also, I was just about to mention that. Which, well, I'm obviously Celtic with, with prior to that, of course. But... Um, yeah, you know, they come through some tough games. I think a couple of two-legged games prior to, to the final against Benfica, which had already won the European Cup uh, a couple of times before that. So they were a, a big big force in Europe at that time, when people back on. Um, so, you know, he, he's obviously going to have a lot of emotions, you know, going not just for United and the fact he's in that final, but 
you know, it's it, the fact that he's he's gone through the the, the Munich air disaster and survived, and and you know when the club could have crumbled, they've, they've got themselves back into the European Cup final. You know, um, scored two goals, scored the first one. And... Hard working best, put the ball out to the left, where Sadler had been playing like a demon. The return centre was a beauty. Charlton headed it home. And in extra time, scored the last goal of the game as well. The Benfica fire had nearly been extinguished, but where United finished, not on your life. Bobby Charlton made it 4-1. Manchester United had well and truly done it. They were supreme soccer champions of Europe. At last. Um, so, yeah, I think that was just, just one of these, these games that, you know, he, he must have had like a whole lot of stuff going through his head and, and emotionally as well. But for him to put in a performance like that in, in the cup final and, and score two good goals as well, um, just, a, just a bit of historical moment, really. And he's still sat there watching the games today. Oh, yeah. So he's as much a fan as anyone, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, no, yeah, he's an absolute legend, you know. Um, a game of that magnitude, which, which meant so much to, to him and obviously to the club with it being our first final and so on. And ultimately winning it, you know, our first trophy and the first English. It's not just history for United, it's you know it's the first English club to win yeah. in Europe as well. Uh, so just for English football in general, really, and for, for him to you know put put in that performance. I've watched it over a few times. Um it would it would would have just been fantastic to, to to watch it personally, but I think that would have been probably the game of his life, to be fair. Saying that two years previous to that, he was playing in the World Cup final with England, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, so well, that might have been the game of his life, but I know, um, I know what I could, you know, I've, I've obviously heard heard a lot from him and, and many, many things he's written and spoke about, about about that final. And, you know, you can almost see tears in his eyes every time he talks about it, you know, um, not just because of the game and, and, and for the club, but. Like I said, you know what it meant to, to him personally to see the re, the rebuilding after what yeah. he'd been through, and and to, to be part of that game and and, and to, to to win. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you're a footballer, you, that's what it's about, you know. So no doubt, some of them tears were probably just about scoring two goals in the final. But yeah, so um, the um, so that was one of the matches I've written down as, as part of my notes for this but um, it was yeah. George Best and Brian Kidd scored the others for you didn't they? You know I like, literally took that off the tip of my tongue I was <laughs> say they, they, they were either side of like two goals that you know they must have hit home as well at that time he scored it was an unbelievable goal by Best it dribbled past the world of the, the defence and went around the keeper as he very often did so I'm sure he wasn't surprised about seeing that but um, but to see that in the final as well and then Brian Kidd um that was on his 19th birthday. It's not that a bad way to was. celebrate, is it? Well, exactly. So, you know, it, it, it couldn't be more of a perfect game. Yeah. Really, you know, to, to score the first goal, to go to extra time, and then just to, to see those three goals in extra time. You know, one of them being Bobby, of course, and but we all know about George Best anyway. We don't have to dwell on, dwell on what he was capable of too no. much. Um, and, you know, and, and Kidd scores on his, his 19th birthday, just a little lad that he scores a goal on his birthday in, in the European Cup final. Um, yeah, it's just a bit of a story, isn't it, that? A bit of a yeah. game. But Brian Kidd was assistant to Fergie for a while, wasn't he, as well? A lot, long time. Yeah, a lot of years, actually. 
Um, disappointing when we went to City, didn't we? Like, but, you know, um, a few of them have done that, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, he was there for a good while. He, he was he was very, very trusted by Fergie. He was there for years, to be fair. And, um, always kind of running the, the training. I know Fergie didn't really do a lot of the day-to-day training. He would leave that to the kid and, and obviously the other sort of head coaches and stuff. So he was, he was really trusted by him. He was there for a long time, but... You know, he's a, he's a European Cup winner. He knows United through and through and, and he knows what it's about, so why not? That's it. All right, um, so that's your one down. What's your, your second one? Yes, it is. Right, so we're going to stick with United until they get to the last one. Um, I'll go chronologically, shall we? Right? So we spoke about yes. Cantona. We're going to spoke about Cantona before. Yes. Um, and we touched on the Kung Fu kick. Um, yes. So <laughs> the, uh, the game I'm going to... Uh, pick with there is Cantona, obviously, and that'll be his first game back after the ban, okay. uh, which was against Liverpool. Um, so, I mean, prior to that, we, we, we spoke about Cantona feeling loved at United and by Fergie especially, being trusted, I suppose, importantly as well, after after making mistakes like he often did. Um, so I think by this point, you know, he's been banned for eight months. Um, it was shorter originally, I believe, and got extended, uh, as did his fine. Uh, he'd been doing community service. He'd been getting all kinds of stick from the media, and from managers, players, from FA, from FIFA. He was a worldwide ban, not just domestic. Um, so he was out of the game for eight months. When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they sink sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank you. You know, doing this community service. I mean, granted, that was at United's training ground, yeah. but not really hard. Not like picking, picking up rubbish and that. But, so he's um, not going to go out on the streets of Salford picking litter up yeah, off the exactly. streets, is it? Not going to happen, is it? You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, you know, he's been out of the game and... and in, in typical fashion, he, he comes back, uh, albeit a little bit unfit, but he's he's in the starting eleven and he assists a goal within like two or three minutes for, for Nicky Butt, I think. Cole, uh... found by Butt. Here's Cantona. Keane's gone to the far post. And Butt goes in! Cantona has made a goal for Nicky Butt! Well, that's an incredible start, an incredible um, and you know we're then 3-1 down and who else are you going to ask to, to, to step up and, and take the penalty you know um, penalties have added pressure anyway but when you first came back after a ban no doubt getting abuse hurled at him from, from the Liverpool fans um, or Gabe um, you know to, to score a, a penalty with that much on your shoulders against your biggest rivals to 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 equalise in, in the match if, if if you just look at it in, in, in football terms and um and it just kind of shows not just the trust that the team had in him to, to take that penalty. Um and here's Cantona finding acceleration he's got kids with him penalty and who's going to take it the player who took two in the FA Cup final awarded by David Ellery against Chelsea. 
I think there are some decisions, Matt, that can go one way or the other. That was a close call for the referee. A really close call. Liverpool will think they've been denied twice. So Cantona, 70 minutes into his comeback. With a belief that he had in himself as well, which was probably fueled by Fergie because he did hand in a request to leave because of the, the pressure and and he felt that he was just going to bring too much trouble to the club. You know, he was just going to attract a lot of unwanted attention and a lot of um, you would get a lot of abuse personally, which I'm sure he still did. Um, but. At any other club, he didn't seem to care, but he wanted to leave because he was going to do damage to United. And look, I think it's the only time that I know of where Fergie chose to, to keep the player over what damage it might do to the club. You know, he, he begged him and pleaded with him and he managed to get him to, to, to overturn his request and, and stay at the club. Um, first game back, gets a goal and an assist, an equalising goal against your, your biggest rivals in the penalty spot. And you can see by his reaction when the goal goes in what, what he means to him to be back, you know. Um, and, you know, thankfully he, he stayed, you know, and, and we went on to, to do pretty well again after that. But, you know, what must have been going through his head at that time, you know, I wouldn't even want to think, really. But, so it must have been a minefield, hadn't it? Oh, yeah, man. You know, just what he'd been through. And, I mean, don't get it wrong, because he's on the ball. He's on the ball, he's kicks someone off off the pitch and flying through somewhere expects to, to get away with it. But um but you know that was the thing with with United, even though we knew that he was wrong and, and he was an idiot for it, you know, we, we still wanted him back because he's just an unbelievable player, unbelievable talent and, and presence. And you know, for you know when for, if a player does that, you know, if you if you run off and do that to to, to a fan and an opposing fan. You know what other managers gonna beg, when you when you ask to leave the club, who's gonna beg you to stay apart from from Fergie? You know. Yeah, well, it shows you've got something special. If you know Alex yeah, Ferguson asks you to stay, doesn't it? After you know you're not gonna play for the best part of a year. That says literally everything you, you could want to know about how how much Cantona meant to, to the club because Fergie only cared about United. Like we said earlier on, he would get rid of anyone that was gonna do damage to the club be that behind the scenes or on the pitch. Um, and after doing that and after being out for so long, you know, he's he's put his trust in him and he's told him, he, he showed him that he was loved at United and, you know, he's returned the favour straight away on his first game back. You say about Cantona versus Liverpool, didn't he score against him in the cup final? Yeah, he did. He got that pretty weird looking body where he sort of twisted his body in about three different directions. Yeah. He, went, he went through went through about three bodies. Um so he's like the, he's like the ball avoided the play and he just sort of bent through them all and, and went in there. Um, so he's had, he's had a few moments against him, yeah, definitely. Gary Pallister calling for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona! I don't believe it! You just couldn't write this script. So two down, another three to go. So what's your your third choice? <laughs> yeah, so these are quite closely related. Uh, the first one out of these next two is Roy Keane in '99 uh, at the Stadio uh, Dalalpi against Juventus in Champions League semi-final. 
Um, seemed like a bit of an obvious one. Uh, and a lot of people have, have spoke about this performance already. But <clears throat> if you want, you can't leave it out really if you talk about games and, and you know you want to be in one player's shoes in that game, then you know you've got to go for this one, haven't you, really? Um one all after the first game, two nil down inside like what 10, 11 minutes, something like that. Um and then Keane, a bit like it's a bit like uh, Bobby in, in the European final there, you know, he scores the first goal, scores an header. Superb response from the travelling United supporters. In towards Roy Keane! There is a way back! And it had to be the captain! Um, which was which was the catalyst, really, that gave us a bit of a kick and, and got us going. Um, not long after that, I think 10 minutes after that, he gets his yellow card, which he knows he's going to keep him out of the final. Keane versus Zidane. Zidane wins. Keane's caught him, and Keane's going to get a yellow card here. Angrily shouts across to Jesper Blomqvist for playing him into trouble like that. Roy Keane, if United should complete the turnaround, will not be playing in the final. Um... So I think at that point that became his final. Yeah, that's the last game he's going to play in, in Europe that season. And you know, in typical Keane fashion, he, he was selfless and he did what he had to do for the club. It's probably one of the best midfield performances to see. Playing against Juventus, I think in that, yeah, but is it? Yeah, he's 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 he done the fouls. He's playing against Dan, David, Didier Deschamps, Del Piero. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, sometimes. These players here who, who will be years, they must have felt like it was like two or three are keen on the pitch. You watch him, he's literally everywhere at all times. Um, you know, just dragging the team through. And I thought just, just to prove what he was about, really, because at the end of the day, it's, it's about winning. Um, and you see that in his interviews now, you know, when he's on Sky, what have you. When he's talking about players, you know, are they going to move on and, and things like that? His, his main thing is winning. You know, winning trophies, that's what football's about, you know. That's what you play for. So for him to know that, OK, he's going to get his hands on the trophy and get his medal, but for him to know that he's not going to play in that game, which would be almost the pinnacle, probably the pinnacle of his career at that time, for him to know he's not going to play in that and have that in his head for, you know, over half of the match and to put the performance in that he did for the team just to make sure that they get there, and he gets gets his hand on the trophy, even though we don't kick a ball in the match. He's, uh, he just says everything about him as, as a player, but, but also as, as the type of bloke that he is, really, the way that he looks at things when it comes to football. So I just put everyone else in front of him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, much like Fergie, you know, those two were, were very much the same, probably why they fell out in the end, because they were, they were just two exactly the same people. You know, the club yeah. comes first, winning comes first. That's all that matters. Um and you know to be in his shoes in that game, and, and just to just to know what he was thinking, whether or not he really was gutted and, and thinking about it, or whether it, he was that type of player where he didn't even phase him, he just got on with it. You know, I'd, I'd um, say more likely the latter. To be fair, he's just yeah, like, yeah, I've got bugs yeah. for so what? Yeah, I mean, you would never know by looking at him, but you never know what's going through his head. You know, yeah. you've got we've gone through that season, the treble winning season, and. You know, we've got to that point where we've almost done it and got to the final. No guarantee of winning it at that time, obviously. But, 
you know, he, he, he's he was pretty much not carried us because we had a really good team at that time, a lot of really good players, but you know, he, he was our captain then and, and he was a talisman and, and he got us to that point and, and won us a lot of games and you know, massive influence around the club and in the dressing room when it comes to you know, just the determination and so on to keep going like we did in a lot of games that season. Um, for him to, to know that he's he's not going to play in that game after all, doing you know a lot of the work to get us there in the first place must have must have had a bit of an effect on him. But you know, in in, in typical Keane fashion, he, he put in one of the better best performances of his life. So you can guarantee in the final he was kicking every ball you know, oh, was, yeah, when yeah. he was in the stands. Was I'm guessing he was at the game anyway. Jumping out of yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine him jumping out of his suit, right? Yeah, he's definitely there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I remember when, when we lifted the trophy and he, he got his turn to, to lift it. Um, there was a pretty big cheer at that point, you know, people just still remembering the semi final rather than the final that they just witnessed, you know. Yeah. Um, not forgetting score missed the final as well, but, um, yeah, that, that keen. Performance, I just just something different. I've seen him have a, I watched him have a lot of really really good games where he did a similar job, but just the magnitude of that one makes it different. Really. There is a shocked atmosphere all around the stadium, and now there will be joy unconfined in the travelling section. And from all those in red out there on the field. What a job they've done tonight. They were out. They were 2-0 down. They've won it 3-2. Manchester United, the first English finalists of the European Cup since Liverpool in 1985. So for, for what followed on from it, yeah. So. Um, number four. Uh, yeah, well, following on from that, uh, will be the final of the same year. Um, and... I'll go for our now manager that we've discussed, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, and the reason I picked him, even though we played 10 minutes plus injury time, yeah, uh, is simply for, 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 for the, the go- not only the goal that he scored, but what was probably coming through his head leading up to that. Um, you know, Ole had a few years there where he was known as a sub that would come on and score. Um, not only known by us, but He's even said himself that when he got on the pitch, he always felt like he would get a goal or at least have chances to get a goal that he would be disappointed with if, if he didn't. So when, when he gets on there and it's um, 1 0, you know, and, and by this point, we're obviously piling the pressure on the last 10 minutes or so. You know, he's got to be thinking, I'm going to get a chance here, you know, like he always did. Um, Teddy scores first and it's 1 0. And by this point, the balls are just flying into the box from. Beckham and well, from everyone. So you can just imagine that he, he knows that the, he's going to get that one chance. You know, with all the balls that are coming into the box and all the pressure that we've got and how we always seem to score goals at the right time, he must have been thinking he was going to get a goal. And then, you know, for the ball just to come towards him at, at pretty, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty quickly and, you know, just, just see it coming towards him and stick his leg out and put it in there must have been like, I don't know, I can't imagine a feeling like it really, to be fair. You know, he's, he, that just epitomised his, his reputation as, as the super sub. I was thinking, you know? yeah, he's not afraid to sort of miss out on starting, is he? But he knows, like, you know, yeah. he likes himself yeah. when he does come on to do something. I mean, he's always, he always said himself he, he felt he would score when he was on the pitch. And, 
So you can imagine coming on with 10 minutes left in, in the Champions League final and then going to one all and the ball is just being piled into the area all around him. He must have known, to be fair, that, that he would get that chance and, and thankfully he did. But, you know, it's afterwards, you know, when, when he slides away celebrating, I don't know if it would have actually sunk in what, he, what he'd done at that point. I mean, probably did a little bit because it's, it's a winning goal in injury time and, and you know you're in a final. But, you know, after that, it's when you reflect on it, it's like one of, one of, if not the famous goals that, that Man United have ever scored. Yeah. You know, in in, in probably all of our history, you know, you would think. Um, so for, for him to be that player and, and do that, you uh, that he wouldn't have known that at the time when he stuck his leg off. But you know, looking back on that, um, he must be sort of immensely proud of it. Um, you know, fast forward and, and he's managing the club now. You know, but. Um, which is an amazing thing, you know. He's he's like he's a full-on club legend. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, and considering he, he came from nowhere and he spent most of his time on, on the bench, for for him to, to have that status is is unreal, really. But but yeah, for, for that for that reason only, uh, just for the what was the one to be said for them ten, 10 or so minutes, yeah. Um, and to get that chance and put it away to, to win the final must have just been unreal, you know. So you don't know what you've done till the final whistle. But that when just before yeah. we started recording, you know, I said I had a feeling that what one of your games might be. That was that, the one. That, that was the one, yeah. yeah. And it was <laughs> it was a soul shy, yeah. I knew it would be. And I've just got a, one last corner, perhaps, to survive. Beckham to swing this one in again. Sharing it with the goal for Manchester United. Champions League for them. All right, so yeah. on to your, your final one then. All right, so <coughs> what I've gone for here is um, the World Cup quarter final in '86 between England and Argentina. Okay. Um, and Maradona, obviously. Um, I think, obviously, you know what I'm going to mention first of all would, would be is. Well, the reason I picked this is just like the complete good and bad in Maradona. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the dark and the light. Um, you know, the, the fella's about two foot tall and, he, and apparently he wanted to convince everyone that he'd out-jump Peter Shilton with his hands outstretched. But, um, yeah, so obviously there's the hand of God. You know, a little bit of fluke, I think, sort of spoons up off, off one of the defenders. That, um, you know, he, he's gone and put it in with his hands. So, the reason I sort of thought about being his, in his shoes at that time would be like, was he even bothered about that? You know, he doesn't seem like the kind of person that would have any remorse or regret over sticking the ball in with his hand. You know yeah. what I mean? Bear um, in mind, you're only four years removed from the <clears throat> Falklands conflict, aren't you, as well? This is it, yeah. So so the tension, I was going to touch on that, the tension, obviously, between the two countries spilled over in, into the football uh, for, for that reason, really. Um as a lot of things do when it comes to football, because everyone's very sort of tribal, aren't they? And patriotic. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, so so for, for him to do that, really, whether or not he kind of realised the tension, don't know between the two countries and, and the fans. But for him to do that, I have I've, I've read a, a few interviews where 
he's he's gone to his players who, who are not celebrating with him because he's, he's put it in with his hand and they think it's going to be overturned. And he says to his teammates, look, just come and celebrate with me now. Fuck me. Like it's a legitimate goal. And otherwise, the ref's going to disallow it if nobody does anything. So the players like are pretending to celebrate with yeah. him so he, looks, so he looks legit. So, you know, he just goes to show that he, yeah, bit of a bit of a nasty one when it comes to sort of get, pulling the wool over people's eyes and, and getting his own way. So you can imagine, you know, did he, was he even bothered or was he just literally laughing to himself inside, you know? <laughs> and like giving the England players a bit of a wink and going, I ah, see what I just did there. A larger chair. Maradona again easily. Moving away from Hoddle in the heart of the midfield, it's put back over the top, and Maradona has scored! First blood to Argentina, England far from happy, think they've seen an infringement. Still the protest continued, Terry Fennick absolutely adamant, I think, that he saw a handball. It probably was, to be fair, it was like... Um, yeah, that's, was it? How you, uh, that's how you'd imagine it, isn't it? Um, but then the reason I chose this game, not just for that was only three or four minutes later, he scored probably one of the best individual goals that yeah. has ever been, you know, which just completely shows the other side of him. You know, he beat three, four, five outfield players, maybe a couple of them more than once, um, you know, from, from his own half and to rub salt into the wound for, for sure. And after he's just punched the ball past him, he then goes round him and taps it in, in the net. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that after that goal, I can imagine he, he was kind of like, well, yeah, I'm not just a cheat, you know what I mean? Look look at that. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, like I said, it's two complete polar opposites of, of, of a player that could be like the absolute devil or, or just a genius that you just have to sit back and, and watch, really. So sort of reminiscent of the sort of goals you've seen, like the likes of like Messi score for Barca, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. it just picks yeah. up and just... Yeah, very reminiscent of, of, of him when you, when you watch Messi and play, some players like that now. Um, but you can understand why so many people, not just in the football world, were, were so devastated when he died, even though he was obviously a, a right mess <laughs> for the last few years or more. Because he, he, he was just a character, like a world-famous character. Yeah. You know? like we spoke about Cantona earlier, like being a rock star of, of football. Um and that is that's what he was, or, or more, more than that. You know, he was something different um, because of the bad side of it, and obviously because of his his ability as well, and just this aura that he had about him. Um, yeah, I mean, he, just to watch that game and just just watch him, not just the goals, you know, the whole match. He was he's just an absolute nightmare for England, you know. Um, so, yeah. Maradona there. Hoddle giving away cheaply again. Maradona brilliantly just gets away from Reed and now motors up through the gears and he's beaten Butcher and he's beaten Fennec. It's Diego Maradona and it is quite magnificent. If there was an element of doubt about the first goal. There's no controversy about that moment of genius from Diego Maradona. Two goals in four minutes, and Argentina lead England 2-0.
think I saw a documentary on him. Um, I don't know if, I think it was before he died. And they were showing like the streets of, of mm. Naples. Obviously, he played for Napoli, didn't they? And yeah, yeah. The, um, like, I say graffiti, like work. I suppose it's a lot murals of him just all over the place. Yeah. literally like a yeah. god to them. Everywhere he's been, he, he has been, hasn't he? Really, you know, which is why he was mourned everywhere, all over the world. Um, but no, yeah, he was. He was something different. Probably the best player ever, to be fair. Um, I, I'd like to say George Best. You know, being a United fan. And you know, I've never seen them live, obviously, but you know, from from all of the games that I've, I've watched over the years historically, yeah, you know, Maradona and Best are, are definitely the two that I would pick. I mean, Messi's unreal, you know, not not far behind. Um, playing in Spain your whole career, you know, have you been challenged? I don't know, but um, you know, where Maradona played, you know, sort of South America a lot of years. That's Tough place to play, you know. Um, and back then, you didn't get any protection. You got boots no. all over the place. So, you just glide past people like that, and, and you know they're trying to kick lumps out of you, and you just look like you're floating across the grass. Then you, you definitely something different. Yeah, well, we tried on that, that that solo goal that you scored against. Has anybody Was it Peter Reed? I think it was tried to wipe. I think everyone did. Yeah, yeah. And Reed just uh, didn't get close to him. Yeah, just miles away, you know. I think he went past Teddy Butcher like a couple of times at least. Um, yeah, once he, once he got going like that, there was no chance, you know. Um, like I said, that's in the day when you, you, know, you, you weren't protected, players didn't go down at the, you know, just getting a breath on the back of the neck, you know, they, yeah. they, they, they did get kicked everywhere, you know. And as was the case up until, you know, the, the 90s and, and even a little bit later. But yeah, back then, you know, to play like he did. Um, and the same, this is why I say George Best as well. There were just a couple of players who you, you, just nobody could seem to, to get near him. And with, with the, the most minimal effort as well, it's not like they did a load of tricks. They just literally glided past you. So just like a little change of pace or just nudging yeah, it to the side and that's it, yeah. gone. Yeah, and the ball weighs a ton and you're caked in mud and, you know, you're getting booted everywhere. If, if they can keep up with you, they're, they're booting you everywhere. Um, yeah, so to, to play like that in, back in, in them days, and you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, and to, to be that good and to be that untouchable, um, you know, you, you're definitely someone special. Definitely, yeah. Head, head and shoulders above the rest, to be fair. So, yeah, we're never going to know whether we'd have been able to do it, you know, as the saying goes, on a cold night in Stoke. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's it. You know, I mean, Messi is, is unbelievable, as is Ronaldo and kind of a few others. You know, in more recent years, I've been very impressed, impressed with a few players like, uh, excuse me, Mbappe or, or yeah. more recently, more recently uh, Haaland as well. You know, the record of goals so far in, in the short careers is, is unbelievable. And when you watch Mbappe play, he's like lightning as well. He's very similar to like Maradona was in that respect. He just goes past people like they're not even there. He doesn't try and do anything special, step over or whatever. He just he, he's just there and he's not, you know. Um, but these days, you know, like he's, like he's touched on there, the game's a lot different. So, you know, if you're playing in, in 2021, you, you, you are able to go past people a lot easier um, unless you choose not to and throw yourself on the deck, you know. If you're playing in 1971, you know, if you're not quick enough, you, you have it, you know, you're just yeah. going to get shot down and 
you end up with your face in the mud. So it's hard to compare over time because of the change in the game. But you know, there's, a, there's a few players there that will obviously impress people for years to come now, I think, because this is the way the game is and that's all that, that we'll know from this point onwards. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I like I like Ireland. He scored a lot of goals and that. Um, but again, plays in Germany, so where's it? Is he, is he, is he, like Messi, is he being challenged that much? I don't know. And if he does move over here, who is he going to go to? You know, because obviously City have been making a lot of noise about trying to sign him, haven't they? Yeah, yeah I mean, so probably, actually, I'd say that back a little bit because he scores a lot of goals in Europe, Ireland as well. So, yeah, he's a, he's a bit different in that respect. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you come over there, there's been rumours of United, but I, I find it very, very unlikely that we would go anywhere near him, to be fair. Um, City, maybe. I don't know Aguero's gone on it. Um, you know, I, other strikers City have got at the minute good enough to fill his boots and, and, and take them forward again. Don't know they get a lot of goals from midfield City, so if they need a striker and they want to play that way, they might go for Ireland. I don't know. Wait and see what happens, isn't it? Like I say, yeah, finances yeah. and what have you, but uh, I know, that's, I know. So that's um, that's your your four four year choices finished. Um, Yep. I suppose all that's left for me to say is, you know, thank you very much for for coming on. And no problem. Hopefully, when uh, you're allowed to get out and about and uh, you, you get back to doing the, the live music. Yeah, no, I appreciate. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, mate. Enjoyed it very much. That's no, been a pleasure. So, right, Paul Nixon, thank you, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Take care, mate. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Uh, big thanks to Paul for joining me on the podcast. I uh, appreciate him taking the time out. Uh, links for his music uh, can be found in the episode description um, and are worth you know giving a listen to. Um, there'll be links for his social media as well, so if you want to drop him a follow, um, you'll know how to find him on there. Right, this episode's poetic offering is obviously Man United related and it's called Juventus 2, Manchester United 3 by Brian Murphy. Juventus 2, Manchester United 3. Strata of afterwork smog filter intermittent gusts of rain that barely reach me. Perched in the cantilevered stand amid local fanatics, high solitude among 60,000 muting my allegiance. Sensigs exacerbated by Amsterdam ganja, by intense floodlights that heighten the brightness of the green rectangle far below. Focus of all our hopes, I take in the darkened kaleidoscope of cloud as the sky signs over tonight. Note pre-orgasmic tension in concentrated faces below on the field. Our boys win against all odds, a rarity. The Italian fans applaud their opponents, their love of the game stronger than tribalism. The stadium empties, the defeated may return home. The cleaners move in, Barely a whiff of nearby Kosovo tinges the pungent night air. May 1999. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Much appreciated. If you'd like to submit something to Football Poets or just have a general browse, uh, they can be found at www.footballpoets.org 
Alternatively, they can be found on Twitter at Football Poets. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, uh, you can do via email, which is projfoot at gmail.com. So P-R-O-J-F-O-O-T at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter at proj underscore foot or on Facebook at facebook.com slash projectfootball. Again, thank you very much for listening. We've now reached full time. Goodbye and take care.